with a double as Leicester hit three against Norwich to put Everton and also Rome behind us. Maybe not Rome, that might take a season or so. We discuss what maybe can happen next season, but not too much because there's still three games to play. All this and much more on For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and Rob Hayes should be at the other end of the line. Rob. He is indeed, yes. Here we are, a week on from crashing out of Europe's third-tier competition. Has, has the dust settled yet? Have the tears dried up? <laughs> there were no tears. Has your headache cleared up from your stag do? Um, just about, yeah. We went paddleboarding one morning and my headache was not not fun, but <laughs> I survived. I survived Leeds. Leeds is a great city, by the way. Never been Leeds. Never been. Never, never needed to, so... Why would you go? But uh, no, I uh, I, th- I thought we we're going to do the pod, but then I'll, I sent you a message and you're like, no, I'm on, I'm on someone's tag. I was like, oh, fair play since I've been gallivanting around and all that sort of thing. Yeah, fine. You know, with 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 Rome and all that, it's um, it's old news now, isn't it? It's a uh, it's a month, you know, a, a week away or just over a week now. In fact, no, actually, it was exactly a week, wasn't it? So, yeah, it's it's um, it is what it is, and. The season ending, it is what it is. What what I was thinking earlier, when before we came on to do the pod, I was just thinking about at this stage of the season, at this stage of this season with with us, it's very difficult to be doing a podcast about Leicester without really talking about next season, even though it's still too early to talk about next season because we don't know where we will be, we don't know where we'll finish. And and also we could be talking about next season and what's going to happen and the the comings and goings and who's possibly going to stay or who who needs to be moved on etc. With not just you know the players, I think the the final few games are going to mean an awful lot. So we'll carry on and then we'll we'll gradually bring that in and I'm sure we'll touch on all that anyway during the um, during the podcast. So. So yeah, on the back of what the three 0 win against Norwich, a um, a much needed win as well because at half time, it was uh, it was looking slightly um, slightly dicey in a way, wasn't it? Because they had their chances. It was a fairly open game, but imagine if the Pookie shot goes in, what the reaction would have been, and and ultimately it's a game of. Of results, and we got the win. We got the three goals. We got Vardy scoring a couple of goals, but it was vital because a, a, a defeat there would have really put the pressure on the final three games. It would really put the pressure on on the people that are kind of slightly leaning towards the Rogers out camp as well, wouldn't it? I know we're not going to sit here and go into loads of detail again about managers staying or going, but th- there are. See, I'm of the opinion that, yes, these games could be useful for certain things. And obviously winning against Norwich actually ensures that we are mathematically safe in the Premier League uh, for another season, which as as um, as being Leicester fans for certainly consciously, at, at least um, uh, 
uh, a quarter of a century, you and I, Pete, we, we know that we can't really take that kind of thing for granted. But ultimately, in terms of any real positive outcomes or anything to particularly cheer about, Leicester's season ended last Thursday in Rome, didn't it? So it, there, there's a real chance, especially with the, the fixture list that we got, of us kind of petering out and the season basically becoming a non-entity because we pinned everything on last Thursday. And and I think I felt like that last Thursday, and I probably felt like that as well when we, when we lost to Everton at the weekend. Uh, but beating Norwich has made me think, you know what, actually, I'm looking up the table again a little bit because we had slipped down to something disastrous like 14th or something over the course of the weekend. But beating Norwich and seeing that we've got a few games left to play, it does give us the opportunity to finish in the top half and not a million miles away, depending on other results, from teams like Wolves, say, who a lot of people are saying, oh, yeah, Wolves have had a very good season. Whereas we now, with our sights set a little bit higher, are saying, well, we've not had the greatest of seasons. And if not the greatest of seasons sees you finish ninth or 10th, then you know what? You, you take stock of that. You say, thank you very much. We've finished in the top half still and we, and we go again. So I think... Now that the doom and gloom of losing in Rome in the way that it happened uh, is over and, it, and it's sort of cleared out of my mind a little bit, I am I am more uh, interested, I guess, in the last few games of the season because I, I wasn't particularly sure that I'd bother with any more of them this, this season. Not that I wouldn't care but or wouldn't watch them, but just not really anything to invest in. But I think there still is. Yeah, I think the the talk about what um, what changes possibly could be made, and especially regarding the manager, etc., was really ramped up after the Everton defeats. And and you get to it was very easy, really, before the game to be slightly pessimistic. You're playing against an Everton side who are going full out for the win because of their predicament, and and also the the away fans were unbelievable in the way that they they've kind of. All of a sudden, they've kind of got behind. It was that home game, wasn't it? When they played Chelsea, there was just it was almost like they're in a cup final. It was um, it's quite incredible how the crowd at Everton have really helped them. And then you throw in the fact that it's on the back of a defeat in Rome. It was an easily signposted game where they could well be in a away win. I know they've not won away from home since I know, October or something stupid. Maybe in August. It was it's ridiculous. But they've then gone and turned that around and and, and beaten. Norwich and exactly like you said it's very close I mean 14th up to 10th and we've got the game in hand over Brighton so a win there would then take us up into ninth place and it means an awful lot the difference between 8th and 14th is going to be what 14 odd million pounds it's 2.2 million pound per place it's a lot it's another player and with all that's gone on every club kind of every club needs the money but if you're looking at doing a, a rebuild like Leicester are, then then you need the money. And and it's interesting with Rodgers. We'll, we'll just just slightly touch on that because there was a lot of talk. And again, just to say, like my opinion, you know, again, everyone's got their opinion. But if you're, and I think every Leicester fan realises that this summer is going to be a, a rebuild or, or a re- refresh of the squad. I think everyone realises that it's kind of come to a... Not an end, but it needs it, a big one. Not just the additions to the squad like we had last summer, but 
a refresh of the first team, a number of players going as well. And the chat then was, Rogers, is Rogers the person to do it or do we need to refresh the manager? I just think it's it would be foolish, in my opinion, to change the manager. Surely, you know, someone with his record at Leicester, you'd, you'd keep him, you know. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it is looking rosier. And with the games still to play, you know, you're looking at Watford, you're looking at um, Southampton at home, and and there's your kind of benchmark. I'm just looking down the league now. I know the likes of Villa will be looking to the postseason and who they could buy. Obviously, Brentford had different priorities to most sides. Palace, really, with the change of manager as well. Brighton have kind of progressed. But you look at a team like Southampton and the way that they've basically been on the beach for the last few months and it slipped down. At least we had that European competition. And people will rightly say, look, we finished fifth, maybe should have finished fourth both seasons. But we've gone from that to now finishing in 10th and we should be happy with this. This is not on. And I, I use the simple case of, look what happened with Liverpool. They lose Van Dijk. They go from first to what, fifth. And then we lose Fafana and virtually <laughs> the entire defence and all that. And we go from what, fifth to currently 10th with three games to go. It's, is it the same? Well, kind of, in my opinion, if you want to look at it really simply. So, yes, there's been a lot of mistakes. There's been some poor performances and all that sort of thing this season. But overall, the fact that our season was still going up until last week was something to be proud of, but something to hold on to because there's a lot of other clubs out there who have uh, had nothing really to play for for an awful long time. Yeah, it's something to be grateful for, isn't it? That we have had uh, something to really get behind, something to really invest in. Because if we just sort of trickled along, like you say, like you mentioned, those clubs there to a sort of mid-table finish where you win one week and you think, oh, we could we could go on a late surge and climb up here and that would be a really positive end to the season. And then you lose one and you win one and you, you carry on being inconsistent. Uh, it it does basically write off the last few months once you're out of the early rounds of the FA Cup or whatever. I know Palace got to... Uh, semi-final of that so they had something to go a little bit deeper into but you, you do have to not necessarily write the season off but you say you have to say right okay we had we we had semi-final experience in Europe whatever you think of the competition you still got an opportunity to finish in the top half all that in a season where the injuries have been like nothing that I've ever known or can recall being a Leicester fan in terms of the number of key players in key positions and it's exactly as you said there with with Liverpool. That was the the sole excuse that was um, continually churned out of Anfield was well we're missing this player, this player, and this player. And ultimately, yes, you can have those, as big a squad as you like, but you cannot have, let's say, centre back for example. You can't. It's very rare that you can have four top class centre backs in your team. You're naturally going to have two, possibly three, depending on what system you play, who are your guaranteed starters, they're the ones that you're going to want at the back every game. Uh, and then the the backup players are just that. They're there to fill in the gaps for injury suspensions and, and, and rest, that kind of thing. Those players aren't geared up for, they're not, they're not bought for, for playing 38 games of a Premier League season and, and however many Thursday nights in, in the far-flung reaches of Europe. Full-back, centre-backs, gone. Vardy out for most of the season. Yes, he was only playing against Norwich last night, but obviously he showed the the kind of awareness and the, the clinical edge that he's got in the penalty area that is unrivaled across most of the Premier League, I, I think, still. Um, 
So we, we're missing all those key players and, and you still finish in the top half and you almost have to go, right, take stock. It's a good opportunity this, this summer with some contracts expiring. Some players maybe ha- had their time at Leicester to, to, to really reshuffle and look forward to next season. Not write this off, but chalk it off to experience. You've got a lot of young players that have played a lot more football. You've got players like uh, Pats and Dakar in particular that have had an opportunity to to have a, some kind of bedding in period and, and getting used to things. So there are things to be positive about and you just got to sort of take it as it is and and hope that the changes can be made in the summer that can enable us to be knocking on that European door again as we were for the last two seasons. Absolutely, and and that's why it's it's very vital for for Leicester to finish as high as possible. Because if you if Leicester do finish down in fifteenth, fourteenth place, it's I'm not saying the players are going to take any huge amount of notice for that compared to to say like a twelfth or eleventh. But if you finish in the top ten, or let's say ninth place, because again we win our game in hand, we're then above Brighton. If we finish as high as ninth. You can then look back on the season and as much as you could pinpoint some horrible performances, some individual horror shows, some very disappointing um, all-round, including manager, players, everything, exits from competitions like in Forest and all that. But if you turn around and go, you reach a semi-final of a European competition, all the away days there and everything, and then you finish ninth in the Premier League... Overall, you can look back on that and say, well, there you go. That's that's ultimately where we've finished. Yes, there's a lot more to it than that. But then again, if you're one of the people who are arguing, look, we've been finishing fifth and fourth and all that, and now we're down, uh, you're using then stats. So you can use it against that. So it, 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 it swings around about, but a lot of it for me will be financial. You finish that place higher than we are now, and that's an awful lot of money. And that could be the difference between player X coming in instead of player Y or even just another player who we possibly wouldn't sign because again it's it's just down to the budget and also for the for, for the sake of maybe who we're going to sign you're not going to base an entire transfer window on the performances in three or four games at the end of the season but it can sway things the whole Vardy situation is is mightily interesting because before the game against Norwich I, if we did the podcast just before that, would have been really, really doubtful about Vardy being our lead number nine. Now you look at him and go, "Well, it, I don't, I don't think. I know he's not fully hundred percent, and I don't think he will be fully hundred percent until he's had a preseason underneath him." But um, I generally think that Vardy will be sharp when he's fifty. And I think he'll score goals in the Premier League at any level, uh, at, at any team, at any stage in his career. But if we're really serious now about having a freshen of the squad, a um, not a different direction, but a new established first eleven again, rather than just bolstering the squad, having a smaller maybe first team squad in terms of senior players and then filling it with some youngsters, etc., because of the lack of European football. Is Jamie Vardy going to be the standout number nine? And that conversation includes, obviously, who else is around? Kelechi Iheanacho, Pats and Daka, especially Iheanacho. I would still be saying no. 
even if Vardy hits three or four goals in these last few games, I think you look at the injuries that we've had with Jamie and, and you look at the players who come in in the way that we play, in the formation, something we've mentioned so many times, the way that the players that we've got to replace Vardy, I just don't think suits our formation. And then you look at you look at Roma, and I know it's a different side, different league and all this sort of thing, but there's a player up front for them, who obviously scored in Rome, who realistically, if we went for, we wouldn't have been a million miles away from being able to sign. And that sort of number nine is is a sort of number nine that I would like Leicester to purchase because you do not score a goal like he scored in Rome with our current side. You do not score um, goals from a Timothy Castagna cross all of a sudden just turn into David Beckham on the wing on the right. I mean, that that was very interesting and something maybe for next year. You don't cross the ball as many times as Leicester and not have that number nine. I just think if you're looking at changing the squad around, and again, the first team, you could do with a bit of presence up front. And if that means maybe letting one of those players go, then there you go. That's that's absolutely fine by me. So it's going to be really, really interesting. But yeah, it, it just... And also plan B as well. We know that you can change the formation. We know that um, you can change slightly the position of, of certain players. And Brendan Rodgers, in my opinion, is one of the best in the league at doing that. Look at the game against Norwich. The way that at half-time he brought off a, a forward player... Um, in Lookman and then brings on Pepe, uh, Man, uh, Mendy and you think well hang on we all we all know I mean, it's quite funny because people say oh well, yeah surely you're bringing on a defensive player for a winger no one thinks that come on you know no one's that basic in their football knowledge people realise that there's going to be a change in formation he identified it and he explained very well after the game very simply what the what the change was going to move move two players into say number eight positions etc and and it worked and he gave his reasons, and it worked absolutely fantastically, perfectly. And we end up winning the game. But what we don't have is what happens when that goes wrong. You can change players like for like. Next season in the Premier League, you know, I don't know how many subs we've got in the Premier League next year. Is it 59 subs for each club? It's it's going to be very easy to do that. But at Leicester, at the moment, if you're bringing on five subs, you're changing, apart from what Rodgers can do, in changing formation and someone like a Mendy coming on for a forward, etc. It really is like-for-like like players. And that's it. And so uh, you need a different dimension. And throwing on the big man is a very, very easy thing to say. But sometimes you need to throw on the big man. And it works sometimes in football. A cross, bang, goal, header. And I'm not talking about Ian Olmondroid, but someone with a bit of presence, bit of height, that then again you can then change the formation, work players off, etc. That's what I think will happen. I think they will increase the height dramatically, not just up front. I think throughout the whole side. And I think that's one area, and you can easily look at the, the corners and the way that we're still conceding goals from corners. And again, in what Rogers has been saying by saying, look, we've changed everything round and it's still happening and apart from the desire of players, there's only one other thing that is going to change, and that's essentially the height of the side. I know we're missing Ndidi, etc. So we'll wait and see who comes in. But um, yeah, that's the way I, I'm looking at it going forward. 
And again, it just highlighted against Roma. I mean, God knows how. I know Fafana was marking um, it was Chris Smalling, and then you've got someone like Johnny Evans generally likes to marshal an area rather than a player because, again, he's going to be not the quickest in keeping hold of that man. He's going to be ready to... to patrol an area and that's the sort of person you'd you'd look for in Evans um, and also be the main guy to then just basically head the ball away rather than keep him man to man but why Ricardo Pereira is standing in the six yard box or on the six yard line with a six foot something Tammy Abraham I have no idea so yeah it needs to change at both ends of the field that's the transfer policy then don't don't carry wants to come to the club don't carry wants to leave the only filter that we're putting on your football manager transfer market search or or on uh, the global transfer network on FIFA, the only parameters on there are six foot three plus. That's it. <laughs> that's that's it. We don't care what position you play. Don't care if you can kick a ball. Just got to be a big lad. We've proved that's not the case with the Vestergaard, haven't we? But now t- talking about uh, a centre forward, yeah, we don't just want to buy like a like a Stevie Howard or a John Parkin or, you know, those, those kind of ilk of players. They don't really exist anymore, certainly not um, in in the sense that they can do anything in the Premier League. It's it's become far too technical for players like that. But somebody like Tammy Abraham, he was an absolute workhorse uh, against Leicester in, in the second leg in particular. He, he had so much desire. He can run the channels for you because he's pretty quick. He can hold it up because he's got a decent touch. He can score powerful headers because he scored a powerful header. And he's a decent finisher as well. And and obviously, it's um, I don't know whether exactly that man, Tammy Abraham, is, is on the market or in the market for a move back to England, whatever, I don't know. But a player of that kind of style who's got a bit of everything is, is, is important, I think, for Leicester because... Kalechi in Atro frustrates me because he he doesn't ever seem to be playing facing the opponent's goal. Um, you've got Patson Dacker who is very easily bullied. You've got Vardy who is unfortunately made of now mid-30-year-old glass. So you, you need somebody that's actually going to strike a little bit of fear into opponents who is going to be positive. But I think that would have to come hand-in-hand hand if, we, if we're talking Rogers' tactics. I agree with everything that you said previously Pete and to add to that there are times when you are absolutely begging for a slightly earlier ball forward or for somebody to take a little bit more of a chance I am genuinely I am I'm Rogers in all right I am here I want him to to be in charge of what happens over the summer I don't think this season in isolation compared to his record at Leicester and compared to what I think we and I hope we can achieve next season I don't think there's a there's a, any cause for sacking him whatsoever, but I I am getting frustrated, and and I'm I know I'm amongst thousands here when when I say this, uh, with some of the things the the phrases that he continues to churn out game after game. You could listen to snippets of some of his post match interviews, and you could put them after this game, X game, Y game, Z game, and they wouldn't be out of place because he's saying very similar things. And I think what the frustration is with Leicester fans. Uh, this is coming from my point of view, is that there doesn't seem to be any real change on the football pitch. Maybe on the training ground they're working on. I'm sure on the training ground they're working on it. But on in terms of what the fans are seeing with their own eyes on the pitch, there doesn't seem to be 
too much impetus or, or change of direction to to rectify the things that he's being asked about every single time. Set pieces we've we've harped on about. I'm not I'm not necessarily going on just about that. I'm talking about how many times has he said we just lacked that clinical edge in the final third. Now, yes, there is there has been an element of that, and I think that comes with. Um, the relative inconsistency within starting lineups, the, the changing of formations, the lack of uh, momentum because of the we've not been able to to sustain any meaningful run of results together really this season. Uh, I think it all comes from from elements of that, but I also think we need to stop at, at, for periods of time fannying about with the ball. It's I'm not saying lump every ball long or spin the striker in behind every time. But I think I recall, I might be wrong, I can recall three or four times Max against Roma doing that in the, in the second leg. And Vardy after it. And the defenders, all they could do is side foot the ball out of play 10, 15 yards from the corner flag. And you're right up the pitch then. And then you're playing in the right areas. And, and then as soon as Roma dropped a little bit deeper and as soon as we stopped playing that ball into the channel, the one that's going to cause them some bother, they sat and watched us play tippy-tappy football in front of them for the best part of 45, 50, 60 minutes, I don't know. And I think that is the frustrating thing from my point of view. Yes, you, possession stats, great. Yeah, OK, overall chances created, looks reasonable. Uh, and you could just say it's the lack of conversion of those chances. But... I think there are times, I'm not saying every time, but there are times when Leicester have to move the ball forward quicker because that kind of service is going to help someone like Daka. At the minute, I don't think he's making the runs because the ball's not coming. And I would liken him a little bit to Lukaku at Chelsea. Lukaku, excellent on the shoulder of the defender, such a powerful, explosive man. Get him in behind, he's finishing, he'll do the rest. Daka's proven that he can do that in the Austrian league. Uh, all you've got to do is put him in behind. It doesn't matter what league he's playing in. You, you give him a chance to chase a ball. You put him in the penalty area. The goal's still the same size. The keeper might be a little bit better, but you're going to give him more opportunities. He keeps getting the ball in tight areas where he's got six foot five Premier League centre-back with all the experience in the world just bullying him off the ball. I like attractive football. I like possession football, but I think there has to be a bit of a change up there. And that's going back to what you were saying about a plan B. Not necessarily just stick it up to the big man, but put a few in behind and give the defenders something else to think about because that really wound me up against Roma. The interesting thing for me is is, is also Rogers and, and we've been bagging on about two up front, the way that he quickly changed actually to, to play three at the back and then push on really against Roma. It didn't work out and that's going to be the um, the disappointing factor when you look back over the well, next years really and you look back at that Roma game and still I don't think Roma are that good. I think they're okay and they've got a couple of good players. I mean the left wing back still is fantastic but and obviously Abraham that we mentioned but the rest are just a very solid side and Smalling again had, a, had an excellent game but we had the opportunity to really do something I think we really missed a Mendy. You're looking back now thinking, could they have done what happened on yesterday with bringing on maybe a Chowdhury and then pushing someone like Yuri Tillemans further forward uh, instead of in the anchor role, which is all very well and good having him in that anchor role. You're thinking, okay, this is going to work out well because he can pass from deep. But then you miss the player that has been playing for the last few years in Leicester's midfield and one of the best midfielders that we've had in, in recent times. He was actually quite quite good yesterday in that. So it's um it's it's awkward because 
Rogers is a game the way he likes to play has been ultra successful it really has but that requires the players to be playing very well someone like a Barnes to be playing well that requires Jamie Vardy to be fit it doesn't suit players other players in the squad the likes of Kelechi and Asho when it all changed last season and Kelechi went on that mad scoring run we thought that's going to be the way forward from now on. It turns out it wasn't. It was back to, to plan A. And plan A, unfortunately, hasn't really worked this year because of, again, le- very, very, very legitimate excuses uh, regarding injuries. So, so yeah, it, it, it's it's going, to be, it's going to be intriguing. Whether he just turns around and goes, do you know what? The way that I play football, the way that Leicester have ultimately been very successful is playing in this formation. And I think Patson Daka can be that player to fill the number nine role eventually. Uh, it might need another player there, but that's still going to be the way that we play. We've got a defensive midfield in uh, Mendy on and or um, Ndidi. We're going to buy a new midfielder to replace Yuri Tillemans. Uh, that will then help move the ball forward, hopefully. So a player with more... I'd say more forward thinking, but again, when you're playing alongside a defensive midfielder, it gives you more than impetus to pass the ball forward. Maybe even, who knows, if they sell one of the defensive midfielders to someone else. It's, um, I think a lot of it will, will be down to the players, because what you were saying about Rodgers and the same old stuff that he trots out, yes, yeah, I mean, after so many games, you, you, you do become kind of used to it. But it was interesting what he said against Norwich, because it was very much on the case of, we just didn't move it forward quick enough. It It was very stodgy in the first half we were very slow and then we made a, a, an effort obviously with the changing formation or changing personnel to then move the ball quicker forward and it's always worked with Leicester when it's always been a bit more hair and scare them I know when they can dominate games sometimes but when it's a bit more end-to-end and, and quicker pace and maybe slightly less technical I always think that Leicester really come into their own you look at Vardy and picking up that loose ball you look at the kind of chaos that someone like Barnes can thrive off. And also, then you have that moment of quality. All of a sudden, the Tielemans pass through all the chaos. He gets hold of the ball, sees the pass through the defence, and guess who's the first person to react? It's Vardy. That sort of thing, I think Leicester do do well at. I think, they, I think Leicester's... Their key players react to those kind of crazy moments in games better than a lot of players in the Premier League. And if that's the way we're going to... And also, it's quite exciting to watch as well. So, yeah, we we, sh- we shall see. We shall wait and see. It's um, it's it's interesting. It's very interesting to see what, what's going to happen. But for now, we've got these games coming up. We've got Watford on the 15th. We've got Chelsea away on the 19th. It's slightly awkward there with Chelsea because it's it would be nice to have played them. I know they, they beat Leeds the other day, but, um, but everyone's doing that at the moment. But who knows if they... Would it be a good thing if they win the cup, or would it be a bad thing if they win the cup and then we play them? I don't know whether it'll be a good or. I presume I don't know actually. If it's bad, you could say, well, they're going to try and get. You know, are they going to be just down and out? Or if they win, are they going to be basically hung over? <laughs> well, I think it depends on the on the top four battle as well, because I'm just looking at the table. If um... They'd obviously. I don't know exactly what the what the Champions League ramifications are this year, but do fourth place still have to qualify? They normally do, no. don't they? No. Don't they? No. So are the top four automatically all in the Champions League. Yeah. 
Oh well, okay. Well, then it doesn't matter that much because I don't think Spurs will catch them in the last in the last few games, even if they win all three of them. But yeah, they could they could want to finish the season on a high if they win the FA Cup and then want to come and have a go at Leicester. It it depends what we want from it as well. You know, if if the players are already a little bit on the beach, Rogers might be choosing. The, I saw there's, there's sort of rumours circulating that he's going to be thinking about bringing a couple of the academy lads in for the last few games because. Ultimately, yeah, you've highlighted the financial side of things there and, and always sounds better to say you finished in the top half. But somebody like Brunt, for example, has been has been in in the first team a few times in different situations. He'd have been training with the first team a lot. I know Braybrook's a name that's been uh, dished about quite a lot as well. So it might be a, a good opportunity to give to give them a little run out and you know if if they do that then chances are we'll get battered by Chelsea does does it does it really matter to us or to Chelsea at that point probably not yeah and before that it's Watford and I, I think when it comes to looking at the Watford game I was quite surprised actually they held um that they held Everton although only by the skin of their teeth but um I think that game is very much who scores first if we score first then surely we should run out then comfortable winners because they're going to lay down, really. You'd imagine, because obviously they'll be down. And But if they score, for who knows? You might have a change of players and a bit of a refresh again, maybe some youngsters. Slightly awkward, but um, a game eminently less should be looking at winning. And again, if they do win, that will put us in a very, very good position then to finish in the season in the top half. Got to be beating Watford, haven't we? Come on, they've been... Absolutely terrible all season. I don't know where the the guts came from to to draw with Everton because um, Everton, yeah, lacking what well, they're lacking in quality. Certainly in the last few weeks, they've not lacked in in terms of heart and determination and and desire to stay in the Premier League. That's that's been very very clear. It was looking terrible for them a few weeks ago, and it, obviously they picked up the result against. Um, uh, against us, back to back wins for the first time in forever. First away win of the of the century or something daft like that and 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 they've dragged themselves into a position where it looks like they're going to be okay but i i expected them to paste watford especially as you know what what have watford got to prove roy hodgson's finally retiring again they they've got a lot of players that will probably end up in one of the watford owners other teams at some point um over the summer it's it's a real not really a place where where there seems to be too much of a collective effort, so so to hold Everton was was an interesting result, I thought, and it makes you, it doesn't bode that well for for Leicester playing them, does it? Because I, I thought at half time against Norwich, I thought exactly the same thing. Norwich have been terrible, but you would imagine Dean Smith is very very much likely to be in charge again next season in the Championship. You would imagine he's got the players fired up in a way that he's saying, look, you're basically playing for your shirt here. I'm making decisions right now and have made decisions in some cases as to who's going to be in my squad to try and bounce back into the Premier League again. If you're not showing me that on the pitch here, you're out on your ear. I don't Watford haven't got that same thing, but we managed to to turn Norwich over in the end, second half results-wise looks fairly comfortable. But yeah, if we can see the first goal to Watford, we could um we could see some some heads go down, and it's and it's it's that it's that the Leicester of of the last few seasons before this, they had plenty to draw upon if the backs were against the wall, 
and they would be able to drag themselves out of it through a moment of quality or through a collective effort because they were so used to to knowing what to do to win football matches. Whereas I, I don't think we've had that know-how this season. So you go a goal down, you're all of a sudden looking around going, how do we get out of this? How, how, what, what do we do here? Shackles might, might be off Watford. How do we stop them? How do we impose ourselves on this game and prove that we should that we deserve to be a top half team? And that's ultimately what needs to be pushing the players on for the last few games of the season. Yep, definitely. I'm. I mean, personally, I'm going to go for a Leicester win, and I can see. I can see if Vardy starts. I'd like to see Vardy starts, um, unless there's any ill effect from from playing the ninety. It's it's um, it's a game that I think Leicester should win if scoring first. It'd be nice for Barnes to get on the sheet. Played better against um, against Norwich. <laughs> to be honest, he could not have been playing worse, really. Just completely void of confidence. What happened in Rome, no idea. Um, he was absolutely, you know, abysmal, along with, along, you know, along with one or two others. Not, not abysmal is probably the wrong word, but um, slightly off, slightly disappointing. And um, almost waiting for something to happen. I mean, we're not even mentioned the referee. I know we're going back now a little few, uh, you know, quite a few days. But you know, the referee obviously had an absolute nightmare. And I think the one player on the field who, who did freeze really would have been someone like a Barnes. But it was, I thought, the one player who froze or the one person who froze was the referee because it wasn't. It wasn't. I know there was the penalty decision in the first half, which I couldn't see from from obviously the, the away end, the other end of the field. Um, but it was it was crazy little things like just throw-ins. There was a corner, that back heel corner, and just crazily obvious. Not even like, not even slightly. Oh, I wonder if that did actually touch that player. Oh, there might have been someone in the way. Just massively obvious. And you know, I don't really want to go down the kind of the old conspiracy theory and all this sort of thing. But, and it's a big but. If something slightly dodgy was going on. Those are the decisions that are going to go their way. Oh, look, there's a corner here. A massively obvious corner. No, goal kick. The only player, or the only person in the entire stadium who thought that was a corner, a goal kick was the referee. A foul here. No, throw in here. Very, very easy decisions. The penalty, very easy decisions to go, no, no, not at all. And those corners, those free kicks, those throw-ins, they add up and they add up to a home win. And who knows, you hear all these stories in various sports, but God knows, you know, you're in Italy, you know, I don't know, I, I, you, I wouldn't, you know. I know I know, it's a bit fanciful and all that, and it sounds amazingly like sour grapes, but it was just the stark nature of the decisions. Almost people kicking the ball into the stand and then the referee going, actually, it's gone the other way. It was that obvious at times. In fact... On more than one occasion, it was laughable, and and that's what people were doing anyway. And it would people turn around laughing, going, "This is just ridiculous." You know, it's what's the guy? What is the guy doing? Um, and also, also audibly, you could hear one or two decisions, and then the the Roma fans, especially those close, almost kind of laughing as well, going, "Well, I have no idea how we've managed to get that goal kick, but but there we go." That's that's you know, again, I'm not going down the, the full scale, full blown conspiracy route, but. It does make you think, doesn't it? Because it wasn't like it was, oh, that's slightly close. I can see how the referees get that. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, a lot of blatant ones. And uh, 
without even going down the road of conspiracy theory or or incompetence or anything like that the the, the conversation was did the referee uh, the, the referee didn't lose the game for Leicester is, is what I kind of gathered from what I've spoken to this is the opinions of people that I've spoken to or that I've seen on social media people were were more concerned despite the terrible referee and were more concerned at the fact that Leicester didn't manage to do enough uh, or didn't show that they were trying to do enough to win the game however you're in a situation at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome where the the crowd are mad i'm sure you you would you can give us a bit more detail about the crowd pit and how it felt to be there but you're playing in in the club's first ever european semi-final again regardless of how in how high regard you you hold the, the trophy itself you you're, it's tight after the first leg you've conceded an early goal in the second from another corner you know the last thing that you need in addition to all of those other outside noises all of that other pressure Add to the fact that you're playing against a Jose Mourinho side who know how to set up to to frustrate you. The last thing that you need, however professional you are, is to be frustrated at the laughable decisions that the referees made. Every single one of those just would have wound a lot of the players up a little bit more, add a little bit more frustration, a bit more tension. And... Let's be honest, in that situation, they definitely didn't need it. Because, you know, if you're playing a home game against Norwich, say, like last night, and you've got a terrible referee like that, and the decisions are that clearly horrendous, like the referee's never seen a football match before, there's nowhere near the amount of pressure on it. So Leicester players would naturally have been a bit more relaxed anyway. So I don't think it affects them as much. But in that cauldron... Of, of all of the factors that I've just mentioned there, the referee being that bad, regardless of what direct impact the decisions had on, on the on the gameplay, it's it's going to naturally tighten you up, frustrate you, take away um, y- your ability to concentrate and to focus on certain areas. And in that sense, it could have, I'm not saying it has, and I'm not using it as an excuse, but it could definitely have, have contributed to to Leicester not being able to to push themselves and impose themselves on the game as much as they were. I, I absolutely completely agree. It wasn't the referee that lost us the game. There wasn't... I know it was a penalty, etc. in the first half. There wasn't that absolutely blatant foul or, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? There wasn't that clear-cut two decisions that swung it. We said beforehand that really it would have been great to have had a, a lead going into the game. Don't don't concede early, which of course they did. I I in fact missed the goal. <laughs> I, I was uh, I was downstairs in in the uh, quite frankly dreadful toilets. Um, it was uh, it was um, I mean end of the day it, it was first of all it was an amazing trip. Everyone who went um, I'm sure would uh, would agree a great place. Where, I mean everything you know. The, travel etc it was all it all went very well from from uh, my point of view me and a few mates who went um great time in rome no problems you know saw saw linica at the uh, at the trevi fountain um with his lads and that and uh, of course i threw the coin in the wrong way didn't i which put a kyber on the whole thing um but there we go it's uh yeah great great time and everything and then the um the way, the way that you get to the ground, it basically said, right, meet here uh, in this park and then we'll drive you there in these shuttle buses. We got on the buses straight away. You know, it hardly queued straight away to the ground. It was it was amazingly efficient. You get a 
you know drinks in the ground and um and yeah it's 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 the olympic stadium absolutely massive fantastic fantastic stadium that has a little bit of an upgrade i don't quite know when probably about a decade ago 15 years ago or something but it's um well actually it could have been for the yeah yeah around about then so it's it's um a fantastic stadium you're a million miles away from the pitch as well at that point obviously if you're at the side of the pitch it's easier but uh where we were and it became really apparent early doors that Roma don't half love a flag they love their flags and um spoke to one or two people after the game the next day in fact and and they were saying it was one of the best atmospheres that they've had there for what well, they were like saying like 10 years or so like for an awful long time and and you could tell that they were massively up for it you know a huge tifo behind the goal uh, where the ultras were but it was just all round and the noise before the game they 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 sing a few songs i kind of got it wrong i posted a few videos on the uh, on the twitter feed and on facebook saying uh, oh they sing their their club song roma roma turns out it's a song called uh, my soul and my so like you know got that one wrong um which is basically just it, it sounds like they're just uh songs about rome really not just about the club or anything like that um, but very, very kind of um, nostalgic, reminiscent sounding song, which before the game, I mean, it kind of sums up Leicester after that because we knew that we wouldn't be in Europe for at least another season. And, and it was like, you know, end of an era type kind of thing. And yeah, it, it was and it was really nice, really good. And um, it was just a, a shame about the actual game itself because it was there. It was there for them. And unfortunately... We didn't work the keeper. There was plenty of shots just flying over the bar or no real power in, say, from Madison. The dead ball situations were awful. And overall, you look at it and you, it was relatively comfortable for Roma in theory. They sat back and went, well, we're, we're going through here. Um, they didn't really need to do an awful lot. And that was the disappointing thing. You know, They'll look back on that game and Leicester fans will look back and go, we should really have done better there. We weren't outclassed. And if we were outclassed and, and got beat 3-0, we're fine. And I think I said that before. And then, then okay, you know, you, you kind of take your medicine and you go, good luck in the final. But, um, yeah, very disappointing overall. But uh, hell of an experience. I mean, the atmosphere were unbelievable. Um, Leicester fans are great. But uh, but there we go. You know, you tick that one off and you just hope that um, that we're going to qualify next you know, next season for it. But, uh yeah, that's uh, that was that was Rome, which uh, yeah, which was all very nice, but uh, unfortunately the result just not what we wanted. So no no trip to Albania. Oh, you were gutted about that, weren't you? Tirana, Rome, no comparison. <laughs> yeah, I don't quite know how it's going to work out with Rome against uh, Feyenoord in the final, but uh, in terms of fans outside the stadium and all that, but we we'll see, we'll see. There was you know one or two spots of bother at one end, uh, one side of Leicester fans and all that sort of thing, but. Um, but there we go. That's that. That was that. And uh, and yeah, the the European travels are over for now. One thing's for sure, though. Next season, and you know, not really to to bang about next season already yet. But we will need to start well. That's one thing I think for sure. With the you know what happens in the summer, I I think we definitely will need to start well. But that's all to come with with kind of previews about next summer. So. Just back to the game against Watford, because I think I started talking about that. Um, I I had in my head 3-1. Another three-goal haul for Leicester. Couple of couple of Barnes and another Vardy or something. Yes, yes. Yeah, go on. 
I'll, I can get behind that. Let's let's go. I'll tell you what. I'll go super ambitious. I'll go back-to-back 3-0s. Back-to-back 3-goal clean sheet wins. 3-0 Leicester. Oh, my word. Back-to-back 3-0 wins. I've just completely clicked off what I was looking for on here. Um, yeah, well, I'll tell you what. We'll definitely, definitely take that. Definitely take that. I'll tell you what. If uh, We were talking about finishing top half. Also, if we can finish with a positive goal difference, that would be great. What are we on at the minute? Minus four, I think it was, last time I looked. Yes, yeah, around about that. Yeah, minus four. So another three-goal um, win against Watford, and that will bump us up nicely. Positive goal difference, top half. What more could you want? What more indeed? Well, what we can do is we can talk about the For Fox Sake podcast FPL League, because it's been a while since we've dug into the old world of fantasy football. And I wanted to bring up the post, uh, Glenn Richardson. Many thanks, Glenn, for getting in contact via Facebook. And he goes, uh, my first year on the fantasy football, the FPL, and he thought if he could just get into 10th place in the for Fox 8 League and get his name read out on the pod, then he'll be happy. And uh, I think Madison's done him a trick. And, uh, oh, he captained uh, Kevin De Bruyne. There you go. Just the four goals. Um, so he's currently ninth. So uh, And there's obviously a game to go tonight at the time we recorded. So uh, I'll tell you what. Let's hear that music, Rob. <laughs> Okay then, the top 10 of the For Fox 8 podcast Fantasy Football League. And again, at the time of recording, we're halfway through. We've still got one more game, should I say, in game week 36. In uh, 10th place, it's Max Magnussen, uh, Rask, with 2,257 points. Up into 9th, it's Glenn Richardson. Glenn the Foxile with 2,268 points. Down into 8th place, uh, TBGFC, Emmanuel Nakara with 2,278 points. Down into 7th place, it's Jack Wright with Daka Daka Hey Hey, 2,278 points also. Up into 6th place, it's Hafiz Muzamil with Karachi Breeze, 2,288 points. Up into the top 5, Ben, ben Melbourne with Vini Vidi Vardi. He's on 2,332 points, so a bit of a gap between 6th and 5th. And then in the top 5, down into 4th place, Benjamin Brogan with Topher United AFC, 2,339 points. Down into 3rd place, Jeff Linton with Enter Team Name, 2,345 points. And the top 2, up into 2nd, Jack R with That Samare with 2,376 points and leading still. It's Adam Wise, Team Addy, with 2,395 points. So there's a bit of a gap there at the top of, what, 19 points between Jack R and Adam Wise. There's some good scores there. Jack R, actually, 151 points at the time of recording. Uh, Glenn, he 148, not bad at all. I presume that, uh, yes, uh, that's Samare captain that's Kevin De Bruyne as well. Now, for me, I've actually had a bit of a bit of a good week actually. I've gone with a bench boost. I've got 116 points. I'm up into 18th place. So I don't think I'll be troubling the top 10 because uh, well, lots of Glenn, he's on what 2268. I'm on 2209. So it'll take some going in the last few weeks, but uh, not bad at all in the top 20, 18th place. I'll take some of that. Uh Rob I love how you say that when we get on the FPL. Uh, Rob, uh, I've just dropped out of the top 50. I've, I'm looking uh, for you. 
I'm 53rd. I've not had uh, not had the best week considering it was a, a double game week. Uh, Salah being rested has not done me any favours whatsoever. No, same here. Uh, the only points I've really scored have come from my defenders. Um, Cancelo, James and, and Matip. I, oh, what I'm hoping for tonight, Arsenal Spurs in the in the North London derby, would be a, like a five-all draw where Saka scores all five for Arsenal and Kane scores all five for Spurs. That that would do me a right treat. That would get me back in the top 50. No bother. Well, I mean, I, I've gone from a bench boost and it's, it's worked out a treat because my, my bench so far has contributed 43 points this, this week. Um, yeah, I could do with Martinelli. I've stuck with Martinelli through, through kind of thick and thin and, and not playing... Um, and but at the moment, obviously 18th in that league, I'm topping two two leagues. I mean, including one at work for the first time. I've just crept into the lead. Um, yeah, I could really do a win in that because it's a few quid to be honest. But uh, but there we go. That's the fancy football, and uh, of course we'll be doing it next season as well. So don't worry about that. Uh, yeah. So fingers crossed regarding those. And if you want to get in contact, just like Glenn did. You can go to our Facebook page, type in for Fox 8 Podcast, and you can find us on there. And if you want to get in contact via Twitter, at FFSPod, FFSPod, and you can find us on Twitter. Email us direct, which is for Fox 8 Podcast at gmail.com. About anything at all about the podcast, about anything you want to be discussed, any subjects, anything at all about players, etc. In fact, to be perfectly honest, this time of year is a really good time to get in contact because... The way the season is at the moment and what we've got left, um, it's more than likely that we'll be next podding after the Chelsea game and then before Southampton. Maybe we might grab one after Watford. Who knows? Depends on time uh, and what, what everything's going on. If it does roll on to after the final game of the season, well, there we go. We're talking about the season. We're talking about next season and we'll have a, a huge pod. So what we'll want is we'll want players... Uh, especially after the final game, we want your views on who's going to stay, who's going to go, who do you want to stay, who do you want to go, what you think is going to happen, what you would do if you were in charge. Would you change the manager? Would you then buy a new number nine? Do you think we should have a new goalkeeper? Whatever. Whatever you think, we want you to get in contact because guess what? Me and Rob are going to be sitting here doing exactly that. We're going to be talking about who we want to stay. We'll go through the entire squad and give kind of a, a rating for the season as we do and then off our views on whether we think they're going to go and whether we would actually let them go uh so when we do each player we want people's views so send us your views about who you would let go who you would bring in as well yeah who who would you target um i've got a few names down i've got a couple of names down already that uh, that i would like to see being brought in but we'll wait for that pod so get in contact again facebook or via twitter at ffs pod or something like this probably an email for Fox 8 Podcast at gmail.com. Rob. I don't like it when you just say my name and expect me to say something wise or witty. Or I've, I've got nothing. I've got nothing left, Pete. Well, something. I, mean, I know it's not going to be wise or witty, but... Uh, I'm like Leicester City footballers. I've got nothing left to give. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. I've got nothing on my list. That is all done and dusted, just like our season. Oh, no, it's not. We've got three games to go. Yeah, fingers crossed for these three games. Good win at Watford, Vardy scoring some more, and then whatever happens against Chelsea, put it this way, I've seen an awful lot of Southampton in the last, say, four or five months doing commentary for, for Southampton. They're garbage. They've got one or two players who can do something out of the blue. I think the goalkeeper's been very good. 
Um, put it this way, one player I'd love less to sign is James Ward-Prowse. If they think he's good enough for the midfield, if they think he'll he'll be okay in whatever system, then just his dead balls are unreal. And not his, I'm not even talking about free kicks here. We know how good he is in free kicks. I don't need you know you don't need me to tell you about that. But corners, free kicks into the area, my word, it's just relentless. And you go back to Rome and you look at how it fell apart. And we know Madison's not the best at corners, etc. But it really did fall apart. He would be one which I, I think, if, if they think he's good enough to play in Leicester's midfield, which I think he would be, um, I think there's a very, uh, just an excellent signing. And also, I think we could get him. If we offer the right money, I think we say to him, look, like, you know, come, come and play for us, Southampton. You're not going anywhere down there. Um, so what do you reckon about that? Just to finish the pod, one, one player then, that Ward-Prowse, what do you reckon? I see absolutely no reason why not, because you add into the, the all of the technical qualities that you've just spoken about, talk about his leadership qualities. He, he seems like the kind of lad that you would really want to have in your dressing room. Hard worker, captain, leader, and... You know, it's quite rare for a player to have to have both in abundance. And you know, if we if we're going to stick to the to the three man midfield with with the kind of pivot, if you like, and, and Tielemans is going to be on his way, then you'd say Ndidi at the base of a three man midfield with Kieran Jusbiol on the left and and Ward Prowse on the right of that midfield three. That looks like it's got a lot of quality and a lot of balance. And yeah, I don't I don't think. It'd cost a fair whack, but not. I don't think it'd be extortionate. And, and Southampton are very much a selling club, aren't they? So it, it could be uh, something to be looked at. It could be a possibility. I, I would be all for it. What figure would you would you say? I've got a, I've got a value in mind. I don't know what his contract situation is. So you know, in in an ideal world, if let's say if you've got if you've got Tillemans and his contract is not running out, but he just wants to leave. Then he goes for way more than the 30, 35, 40 million that's starting to be bandied about, hasn't it? If Ward Prowse is on a longer term contract, it's going to cost you more to bring him in than you're going to get for selling Yuri Tielemans, I think. Um, the danger is if you start going over, over that kind of 35-ish barrier, then you're starting to dip your toes into, into wanting a proper top-level, world-class, or, or on the cusp of world-class footballer, um, especially in today's market, with, with with the finances being a bit tight. A couple of years ago, you'd have got um, you'd have been able to spend a little bit more and it wouldn't have mattered so much. But uh, what would I be happy with the club spending on him? I don't know, 35-ish, maybe? What do you think? Well, I'm I'm just looking on here. I think he's got a pretty long term contract. I don't think he's on very much money per per week. I think it says well, one place I found it says forty five grand a week. Um, in, obviously in terms of forty, so, you know, it's an amazing amount. But you know what I mean. Um, he signed a new five year deal at the start of this season, so he'll have four years left on his contract. That so that's a fair wedge to the feed, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say twenty five million, but. I think you're looking at probably 30 million. Who knows if they want more than that? I would be a slightly skeptic about paying paying more than that. Um, yeah, with the length of his contract, etc. He's 26 years old. Um, 
Yeah, I, I would say. Hang on, no, 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 I've just looked at. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, something from called SaintsMarching dot com. Uh, they say he's on hundred grand a week. There we go. So um, scrap what the uh, the other website says. But there we go. That's that's what. That's. So uh, yeah, it, it'll cost quite a bit. But that's one player. And again, you, when you're signing players, or when we're looking at um, what we're going to be doing next season, it's about. It's about improving that first team. And the one thing Leicester need to improve on, Madison can score a free kick. We know that. I still don't think he's ultra good at them. I think he can he can hit an area, but um, he, he, Ward-Prowse would improve a lot of aspects of Leicester's game. You know, he'll be on everything. Corners, free kicks, into the area, and also then direct. And um, and also, who knows? That could bring out the best in James Madison. Say, look, you don't worry about this. Look, look what we've just brought in. We've we've brought in one of the best dead ball um, deliverers in Europe. You'd argue, not just the Premier League. But I think by far it would be in the Premier League. But there he goes. Anyway, that's the sort of conversation we'll be having uh, on future podcasts. Probably the next one, and maybe one during the summer as well. That's it for now. We'll be back again. We'll hopefully before the final game of the season, but. The games will come thick and fast, so we'll see. Thanks for listening. Get in contact with the show, like I was talking about earlier, and we'll be back, hopefully, after a few wins and we're in ninth place. (laughs) 